good to be together on Christmas Eve. So Merry, Merry Christmas to each and every one of you today. You know, this year, this year we did Advent a little different than we normally uh, do. In the past, we kind of focused uh, traditionally on the themes that you see on the wall, um, hope and peace and love and, and joy. Uh, we changed up a little bit this year, and this year we, we focused our attention looking at Isaiah's characterization of the Messiah as described in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Uh, I don't think there's a rule, so if there was, we broke it, but um, it just seemed right and in time of um, wonderful encouragement from uh, the Word of God. And we uh, read about that in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. 750 years prior to the arrival of Christ, Isaiah pens these words, for to us a child is born, for to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We tied hope into those themes. We tied peace into those themes. We tied joy into those themes. But we hadn't really focused yet on love because that's the focus of our attention this evening. You see, if Christmas is about anything, it's about love. About a love from God. John points out in his gospel that what motivated the Father in sending the Son was love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And so Christmas is all about the Father sending the Son and the arrival of that promise that was made. And so the birth of the Savior is an important chapter that's part of a much longer narrative. It's the building of a love story, a love story between our creator and his creation. We see all throughout the scriptures, we see angels that are present in the midst of this love story. We see angels pointing to the story of redemption as Diane shared, as the angels talked about the coming of a baby to the shepherds. We see angels heralding the coming of the Savior. This love that the angels pointed to, it's a redemptive love. It was a love that the angels couldn't fully understand because angels hadn't experienced redemption. It was something they longed to understand. The Apostle Peter, in writing his epistle, says that the angels longed to understand this redemptive love that would be shed upon God's people, that would be played out in this redemptive story. You see, Christmas, it it didn't start in a manger. It didn't start in a stable. It started back further than that, much much further than that. Christmas started way back in a garden to a time before there was even a need for a savior. A time before sin had entered into the world. A time when creation, where man was perfect 
in his relationship with God, untouched by sin. It was the ultimate love story, creator and creation, walking with God in the cool of the day. Journey back with me to a time where there was not yet time. A time where before time even began, there was darkness, the scripture says, and darkness covered the earth, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. At this command, the darkness was expelled, and lightness, light came into the world. Command after command, day after day, God spoke into the nothingness of all that existed, and he began to create. Could you imagine what that must have been like to see our creator do his thing, speaking into existence that which was not? The day, the night, the sun, the moon, the stars, he created all of them. The birds of the air, the fish of the sea, all of the land creatures, our God, our creator, speaking into existence that which was not, and it came into being. And on the sixth day, in a crescendo of creative genius, God creates man in his own image. He creates man in his own likeness. From the, from the dust of the ground, God creates man, Genesis tells us. This action by which God creates man is different than all of the other feats of creation. Each and every one of those things that God created were the result of God speaking those things into existence. God said, and it was. But this creation was different. We learn from reading the Genesis account that God grabbed some dirt from the ground and began to form and fashion man from the dust of the earth. The message is clear. This creation is going to be different. This creation would not just be spoken into existence, but this creation would experience the very touch of God as God began to shape and form man into his own image. This creation was unique. This creation stood out among all of the others. This one was created in God's image. It was created in God's likeness. And it was designed to be a recipient of God's perfect love. And so the love story begins. Creator with creation walking together in the cool of the day. A picture of relationship. A picture of, of fellowship. A picture of harmony. A picture of holiness. And the love story unfolds. Could you imagine what it must have been like? The world not yet touched by sin. There was no evil. There was no hatred. There was no angry people. Everything was as God created it to be. It was 
the ultimate love story until that day until that day happened he he was the enemy of God he had successfully deceived a third of God's angels into a rebellion towards God when God cast them out of heaven speaking of Satan himself but this serpent's eyes were now fixed on a new target a new object that he would go after. He was focused now on the object of God's love, God's choice creation. And he begins to speak to God's choice creation. Has God said, you shall not eat of the tree? And in a calculated, manipulative act of deception, Satan courses the objects of God's love towards disobedience and rebellion towards the God who created them out of love. And the Bible says sin enters the world. Something that was never designed to be there was now present. And sin enters the world and as a result of that, separation between creation and creator and the love story comes to an end or does it they knew the rules God was clear to them about the circumstances sin could not exist with holiness in this garden not in this love story can sin be present and so they were banished God's holiness demands it. But this love story would not be over. A new page was being written. A plan was being devised by our creator. A remedy is in place. A solution is on the way. This love story, ruined in the garden, will continue. All would not be lost. Instead, all would be redeemed. It would be redeemed through one who would come and he would complete on our part this love story that we could never complete ourselves. This creator would come to his creation born of a woman and he would buy them back. It's the very essence of what redemption is. He would buy them back with his blood he would continue this love story and he would destroy the works of Satan and the fruit of the sin that was in the garden. From that moment of the fall came the promise that God would rescue man from his sin. God became man's biggest problem when sin entered the world, but God also became man's only solution. The scriptures point to the fact that Messiah would come and he would restore that which was lost in the garden. Micah will talk about it in his prophetic book. He'll say, but you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, 
From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. In other words, that which is going to come to you has no beginning and he has no end. He always was God of very God. Isaiah 7, 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. You know, that means God with us. God's presence with us. Reunited back like it was in the garden. Emmanuel. God with us. It is the fulfillment of a promise and a plan that God has set in motion so that this ultimate love story can take residence in the hearts of all of those who would put their trust in him. And then, after centuries of prophet after prophet declaring it would happen, after system after system, pointing to the one who would come. Finally, it happens. Luke records it in his gospel that bears his name. Luke chapter two and verse four. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was with, that, he was with the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him at the inn. A little further down, he records, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. This is what Diane was referring to. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. I'm sure they were. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. Could you imagine what it must have been like on the field that day? As the darkness opens up from the midnight skies and they get a glimpse of what is going on in the heavens and myriads of angels are, are crying out glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. What a journey that must have been. He that was promised as early on as the book of Genesis echoed all throughout the prophets comes to fruition 
in the Gospels. And he arrives. We know not the hour or the day. We don't need to know. We only know that he came. God drew near. The creator of the universe, the designer of all that exists, he steps into our world and he puts on our skin and does for us what the first Adam was never able to accomplish. He lives the sinful, sinless life, perfect. His was the ultimate missions trip. Driven by love and committed to this love story, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. His entrance was anything but the type of entrance you would expect from royalty. What kind of entrance would God make as he shows up there was no sounding of trumpets or clashing of cymbals. His entry was a humble one. Born in a stable and placed in a manger. What is a manger? It's a feeding trough. It's what the animals ate out of because there was no place for him in the inn. It's a picture of this one who would come and live a life of humility in service for his people. Placed in a manger, a picture of this one who would one day declare, I am the bread of life. He that eats this bread shall never hunger. And here he comes into Bethlehem, which means the house of bread. And he is placed into this feeding trough a symbol that he that has come is to be taken in, to be consumed, if you will. All that the scripture pointed to finds its fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. Hundreds of years before his arrival in Bethlehem, the scriptures foretold that he would be born of a woman, and he was. Born of a virgin, and he was. Born in a town called Bethlehem, and he was. It says he'd be a descendant of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and and he was. The scripture spoke of the current events surrounding his birth, and even articulated with precision accuracy his death. This one who would bind up the brokenhearted, bring healing to those who were sick, and bring freedom to those who are in bondage, arrives on the scene. Hundreds of references to the Christ presented to us hundreds of years before it happens. Lest anyone think that he was just a good man, there is no possible way that all of which the scripture talked about could possibly have been fulfilled. There was no great duping of people over time. Nobody could have possibly fulfilled all of that which was spoken of the Messiah centuries before his arrival. If it could have been disproven, it would have been done a long time ago. But he came. And what is this ultimate message of this love story? 
What is the message of these verses after verse, after verse, after verse? It's love. It's God's love shed abroad to his people. It is the ultimate love story. A story that started in a garden and continued to be written throughout the pages of the Old Testament. This one that put on flesh, being born in a town called Bethlehem, and then goes to a cross where he would hand deliver the message, the love story of himself by creating a way to ensure that which was lost in the garden would be found at the cross. Christmas is about a, wonder, a lot of wonderful things. Family and traditions and good eating and times of sharing and gathering and spreading good cheer and all those wonderful things. And I, need, I think we need to take a moment and enjoy every one of those things, but let's not forget that the ultimate message of, of Christmas is a message of love, that God loved us so much that he came. And he came not to just establish a religion. He came so that that which was lost in the garden can be found at the cross. And Christmas is the beginning of that love, that love story. The scripture says that, that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. That sounds so hard to grasp. How can someone have joy knowing fully well what was ahead of him at the cross? Because the joy that was set before him was you and me. It was not the cross. The cross was not something he looked forward to but he knew what was behind the cross what was behind the cross was redemption what was behind the cross was forgiveness what was behind the cross was a sense of purpose and wholeness and hope and peace and love and joy once again what was lost in the garden would be restored as God becomes man and fulfills on our behalf what we never could accomplish ourselves. And so we come and we recognize, God, there's nothing I can do to be in right relationship with you. I put all my trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone as the only means of my salvation. And when we do that, then and only then can the joy and purpose of Christ's coming be fulfilled in our lives. God's fingerprints of love is all over the Christmas story and we can have hope. We can have peace. We can have love and joy because God came. He arrived for you and for me. And that's the joy of Christmas. I'm gonna ask our worship team if you come and, and lead us back into a time of celebration and worship and joyful praise because Christmas is indeed a time of great joy. And we need to be careful to not miss the true purpose of Christmas in the midst of all the wonderful festivities that we're going to experience today and tomorrow and probably all the leftovers later on, right? Let's not forget that we gather because he is the reason he came for you and for me. Christmas is the cause of great joy 
a time for the faithful to come and give honor to our Savior. And so we come and we adore him. Will you adore him with me this evening? Let's stand together.